2: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. A reminder before we begin that you can buy tickets to come and see us recording some podcasts live. Uh, We are in Liverpool on Sunday, September the 23rd, asking have we reached peak Corbyn? And then we are in Birmingham on Monday, October the 1st, asking will the Tories survive and should they? It's open to anyone who's a Times subscriber. Go to mytimesplus.co.uk. And then we've got two events on at the Cheltenham Literature Festival. We're recording a live podcast on Thursday, October 11th. And then I'm doing a show called This Is Not Normal on Saturday, October the 13th. Just go to the Cheltenham Festival's website. Right, back to this week and on this week's episode Anne Ashworth, Times Money and Property Editor on warning lights on the pensions dashboard Times columnist Daniel Finkelstein makes the case for Tony Blair but first Sam Coates, Deputy Political Editor of the Times, tackles one of the most contentious issues
3: in politics If Boris Johnson is going to run as Britain's first populist Prime Minister, how long can it be before we can expect a column from him on that most trenchant of issues, trans rights.
2: Now, Sam, it's worth, I think, just beginning by saying that for a lot of people, even addressing the trans issue has been a sort of no-go area for fear of saying the wrong thing and blundering into a situation they didn't want to, and it can get incredibly heated incredibly quickly. But just explain where you think we are at the moment as an issue in UK politics.
3: Well, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that many people in Westminster see issues of self-identification and whether or not we should change the law around that as one of the most tricky one of the most dangerous topics to go near at the moment and largely in public most mps that i talk to want to stay away from this as a as a topic however i do get the impression that this subject is coming up more and more and indeed views are hardening and And broadly the landscape looks like this. Until now issues around self-ID have predominantly been a sort of left-on-left argument with sort of an older generation of feminists going head-to-head with uh, Jeremy Corbyn and sort of momentum type activists over questions of self-ID and whether or not, not this is the new sort of gay rights movement that, and a cause that should be adopted, and therefore something in that political space. But the government have launched a consultation, a lengthy consultation, about whether the law should be updated. And some Conservatives back that, Maria Miller, but I think um, quietly quite a lot of Conservatives are a lot more nervous, seeing it really as an issue where there's a competition between the rights of those who want to self-ID and the rights of, of, of women. Some people see this as a zero-sum game. There are a lot of different opinions on that. But I just feel like it's coming closer to Westminster as you have cases like the prison case that we saw over the weekend.
2: Just to explain, this was this was a man identifying as a woman who was put into a woman's prison and was then accused of, of assaulting other inmates. Correct. And I just
3: wonder, indeed, I think I probably worry that given the trajectory of British politics is in a more populist direction, arguably a more Trumpian direction, that it is not inconceivable that the Labour Party and the Tory Party take opposing views on the issue of women and self-ID at an election campaign and they slug it out absolutely kind of uncompromisingly. You know, toilets and changing rooms and women's prisons is the stuff that some campaigns could be made of. And, and I suppose my question is twofold. Is that where we want to go? And what would Boris Johnson's column on the subject say? Danny, Suspected Boris wrote a column on it. It would be a very, very liberal column about
4: trans rights with three sentences which started a week-long row about trans people because they were so insulting to trans people. He, because Boris is this very odd mixture of wanting to court a populist vote but not actually being a populist uh, and um, himself uh, actually having been quite uh, liberal for all... <laughs> sorts of obvious reasons um particularly on sort of sexual rights and things like that so I I think um so first of all I think he would be quite confused about it secondly I don't think that we'll go down this route that you worry about first of all the row on the left is too strong um that there is a genuine clash between uh the women's rights movement and trans rights movements it's become very agitated and it is mostly around a among the on things like on things which I frankly don't find very difficult things like uh, women only shortlists I don't see any reason whatsoever why uh, people shouldn't be able to self ID for women only shortlists because people will only be selected if you know no one will be able to troll the system because they wouldn't get selected uh, so I, I don't think it would be a problem to do that. On, on the right, it's less debated for possibly a less uh, a less elevated reason, which is that people haven't thought about it an awful lot. But I think that um, ultimately the right position on it will, be, will end up being quite a cautious one. And, you know, as is in fact, I think, the correct way of approaching it. The right will pick its way through this. It will not raise it as a populist issue simply because it splits the left anyway, and so I don't think it will be a party political issue.
2: Theresa May though, has tried to make it a political issue, and she she went to the Pink News Awards, I think, last year, said she wanted to look again at the Gender Recognition Act. There was a poll not long after which showed it was only supported by about 10 or 12% of people, but she clearly felt it was some, you know, and it was a way for her, probably, of signalling...
4: That's that's the opposite, almost, to the point of... Modernising. which Which is... Conservatives have made a lot of mistakes over a long period of time on social liberal issues, right? So, however much you might look at the Conservative Party's record on, for example, I don't know, uh, factory children as being better than the liberal left on the other hand it's record on some of these sexual uh, liberation issues and particularly gay rights was very poor and i think the conservative uh, early on and the conservative body tried to put that right with gay marriage and it won't want to be left behind again so i think its inclination will be to be liberal but it will have to it will have to restrain that with some of these very hard cases like prison cases where it's gender uh, self ID just doesn't work
0: I would say that most of the electorate out there would be entirely bemused by this argument. I think we're in a moment when people out there think the political classes are all chattering whatever side of the House they're on about issues that really don't matter to them. And I suspect that Boris, who does have a nose for what the ordinary man is interested in, he knows better how to play on that person's responses, would steer very clear of this issue because his next turn needs to be to address what the electorate is actually bothered about, which is housing, health, crime, and this would just be another chattering classes issue for them.
2: Sam, isn't it in a way that for Boris to or someone like him to try and electrify it politically, it needs to rise up the political agenda more? So what happened in America was the Trump wing of the Republican Party were reacting to what was seen as the left in America being obsessed with transgender toilets when lots of other Americans had other more day-to-day concerns. And
3: so in a way you need it to rise up the agenda for him to politicise it. I I just don't think that that's impossible. I, I have heard Tory strategists say that they think there could be votes in being seen to protect and help people whose current life is in some way under threat. So if people feel that there is a change that might impinge on their lives and there's a political party willing to stand up for and and oppose that change, there might be electoral benefit in that. That's why it will come down to the potential opportunity if people choose to go down this route of making a campaign making doing campaigns about changing rooms and unisex toilets and things like that stuff that people do understand now i don't know whether that's going to happen i don't know whether that's true all i'm saying is it's in the conversation in westminster and there do seem to be some people who see a populist opportunity there in britain whether or not it happens and whether or not that's wise I'm going to leave to other you know, people.
4: Sam, as usual, has, has his finger on, I think, you know, on the, on the fault line. remember him telling me very early on after the last general election that customs union would be the issue on Europe, that everyone would end up splitting about in parliament. And this is similar. So the Conservative Party definitely has got an argument taking place about whether or not to be a kind of party about global, open, uh, liberal uh, society with a thriving prosperous free market uh, in which everybody can participate on an equal basis and those people who want the Conservative Party to uh, represent potentially the losers in that in that situation, uh, protect against change, uh, have an older and poorer demographic uh, and this this so this issue might regard whether or not this issue itself comes to the fore uh, and I think the problem, problem with Boris is that Boris started as in his political life as the candidate, really, of the first of those, the mayor of London, a symbol of a kind of liberal, jokey openness. And because of the position he's taken on Brexit, he now appeals to a different part of the Conservative Party, not necessarily in tune with his instincts. So Sam's also right in thinking that he's the interesting person to look at.
0: I think one of the most interesting things about this discussion is we're talking about trans rights. Um, What about women's rights? In the last few days in the discussion of, of the latest revelations about Boris's private life, we've seen a woman who held quite a senior role in the party described in a way that you would never see or hear a man described. Nobody describes Boris as the blonde, do they? Or fun-loving, which um, he well, they would do be. do a bit. But no, but would, I do take He your would point. be He's described totally as yeah. a good networker. And I just wonder exactly whether there is a broader discussion here. That an awful lot of women out there, despite the fact that we have a woman in number ten, don't know where any of the main political parties stand on the the very big issue of women's rights.
2: To what extent, Anne, do you think there are women who would feel themselves to be liberal and open and modern in the way that Danny was just talking about, but then struggle when, if in reality they found themselves in a changing room or a toilet? The, 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 this happens not just on this issue, but quite often in, in other issues, when you feel like you're a liberal, uh, modern person, and then something happens in your life and you're suddenly, you know, what the way you thought you were is challenged by reality.
0: I think that people are barely getting into these issues because they have not yet encountered the problems that they may bring to their lives. In the average office, you don't have a lavatory that's both for both men and women. Quite sensibly, they keep the washrooms separate. So I don't know if this is registering at all with the public yet. But where, suddenly but suddenly it? it could do, as mm. Sam says, because suddenly things can cut through in a way that they haven't done before. But for the moment, I don't know how big it is I think. I,
3: think it, I mean, in some workplaces, they do. In our, so in, uh, Matt and I work in the Houses of Parliament. There are most definitely really rather revolting unisex toilets there. I think that suddenly people see change in their uh, immediate day-to-day life, and it worries them. I wonder whether that feeling could be the thing that some politicians in the future, maybe Boris, maybe somebody else, look to weaponise. It's also a generational issue.
4: There, there, there's there's a sharp change in the politics of under forties versus over forties. And you know, undoubtedly we will have to do something about recognising discrimination against transgender people and we'll have to feel our way through this in a way that means that we you know try to balance everybody's rights in this I just think a sensible approach which uh, is possible, and it, it isn't possible if we completely reject the idea that transgender rights is not a pretty important issue. It is a fascinating issue, and I think whether or not it's Boris who picks up and
2: runs with it, uh, as Sam was saying, it is definitely something which is bubbling around in the background in Westminster and could, could suddenly shoot up the agenda in these increasingly febrile political times. Uh, let's move on, though. Let's talk about... Uh, as we always do when she's here, as a, as a public service, this is Anne Ashworth talking about pensions.
0: We want the pensions dashboard and we want it now. Uh, I'm talking about the long-promised online resource that's supposed to show you the value of all your pension pots from all your jobs. And remember, we could have as many as 11 in a lifetime. The government a week or so ago was set to abolish the scheme, but it's done a, one of those U-turns of sorts, which means that the scheme may go ahead, but not at the planned date of April 2019. This sets me thinking again, does anybody in government actually care about the nation's really low level of retirement savings?
2: And this feels particularly pertinent at the moment because I'm sure this is the same for everyone. The last few weeks, over the summer, I've had these endless letters through from. I've I've already got five pensions because I've moved uh, jobs so many times. They've all got tiny amounts of money. uh, I hasten to add, and you can't really work out what should I be doing with all this. Should I be putting them together, or you know, what's the?
0: You should be able to see them all in one place with your state pension details in there as well. For some reason, rather. Politicians who are in gold-plated pension schemes, let's always remember that, don't seem to care about the rest of us and the need to encourage people to save. But I'm hugely hardened. We're talking about the split in politics between the over-40s and the under-40s. Well, 197,000 people have signed the petition to ensure that the pensions dashboard goes ahead. And the people that go on 38 degrees the website where you do all that kind of thing, tend to be the young and idealistic. So I think the government should think there are votes in this, in helping people save for old age. in Because we are growing old and we will all need some money to keep us in a decent state when we're there.
2: Before we come on to the, the politics of it, if this did happen we could see how much was in our pension pot and what what's your what's the sort of current advice for how much someone should be thinking about can i first
0: say that the government's not doesn't have to pay for this this will be funded by pension companies okay okay? so it's not something that taxpayers are going to be paying for though it would actually be a reasonable expense now I wrote something on Saturday that said every year of your working life, you should be saving an average of, wait for it, 18% of your earnings in order to retire on a pension, which is about 70% of your average earnings during your lifetime. And that amount presupposes that by the time you've retired, you've paid off your mortgage which won't be so in all cases. This is a looming crisis and we need to address it. There is a reluctance among politicians of all colours to acknowledge that they need to encourage people to save because it could be if you made contributions compulsory, for example, that would seem like another tax.
2: And just very quickly, 18% is a a phenomenal amount. Most people, if they're putting in sort of three or four, think they're being incredibly sensible and and studious
0: if you want pension stats i'm your girl the average contribution is 3.4 percent of earnings and that's the employer and the employee contribution that is not going to fund an old age of anything else but near destitution
4: i don't disagree with the basic point, uh, which is I'm very concerned about long-term uh, pensions uh, pots uh, and people are under-saving. I'd slightly disagree with the political description. So, first of all, I don't think there are any votes in it. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but there aren't any votes in it. Uh, if there were votes in it, politicians would care about it. They don't care about it because theres not there aren't any votes in it. Not because they don't care about people's pension pots. Indeed, the problem isn't that politicians don't care about people's pension pots, it's that people don't care about people's <laughs> pension pots. And they don't yeah. care enough about people's pension pots to put enough money money in it. And ultimately, actually, the politicians almost care more than people do because ultimately, the, the money will feed through into the political system and have to be made up in some sort of benefit system or by dealing with the fact that there's pension of poverty and uh, politicians will have to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Although, admittedly, not them. Future generations of politicians. Same, yeah. So, so I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I just think though it would be nice to say the problem of pensions is that politicians have got gold-plated pensions, they don't care about anybody else's. That, I don't think that is actually quite the problem. The problem is people discount the future, incorrectly probably, until they get there I'm so do politicians.
0: My view on that would be that whenever politicians talk about pensions it tends to be the state pension, not the provision that we're all making through company or pr- any other way. And I tend to be suspicious in this is because they are looking for ways in which to decrease the very generous pension reliefs that we receive in order to encourage us to save about which there tends not to be enough publicity my view is that the chancellor should at his budget get up and say look see what we do for you to help you save for old age enjoy it while you can
2: sam it's part of the problem that pensions for a lot of people feels like something which is 20 30 40 50 years away and particularly in politics at the moment we're thinking about you know is the government going to last till christmas and as a result politicians aren't planning you know at best they plan you know they want stuff which they can deliver up to the next election politically it's not in their interest to do things that may or may not bear fruit
3: in five decades time and used the magic words does anyone in government actually care about x where x is pretty much a lot of things that matter to people's lives and and the answer is no. Are they thinking about this intensively in Downing Street? No. There, there's a topic which is adjacent to this, which I am stunned at the lack of thinking that's going on, which is social care. I had one member of the government tell me that, rather candidly, that despite Jeremy Hunt's department being renamed the Department for Health and Social Care, they not only didn't particularly have a plan for social care, but they, they didn't think there was any chance of it getting through, so there wasn't much point in doing a great deal of thinking on that on, 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 on that issue. And I think at the moment, there is no bandwidth. There is no bandwidth. There is no bandwidth. This government is pouring its efforts into survival whilst there are departments ticking along with plans that are in manifestos and ideas that are coming down from from secretaries of state there's no sense that reforming the private pension provision is a political priority so long as that remains the case progress towards the pensions dashboard will be halting slow and frustrating irritating to everybody since and by the way i think if there is a pensions dashboard it might just raise up the salience of the importance of private pensions because everyone will look at the dashboard and go well why is that pension fund potentially diddling me and why I've got nothing in that one. If there's an easy way to make people, to bring a a subject to people's attention then suddenly they start caring about it so this could be a virtuous loop but we're in the opposite of the virtuous loop bit of the cycle at the moment.
0: What a shame because I really do think the nation needs this
3: i do feel like as a public
2: service every time we have, have you on Anne, and i'm sure red box readers know by now how much they should be putting into their pensions and getting organized if you if you haven't and we'll um sort you out in the money section every saturday in the times very good in a sec we'll talk about tony blair not at all divisive uh, issue that one we'll be back after this short break
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: welcome back you're listening to the times red box podcast with me Matt Chorley Ann Ashworth Sam
4: Coates and this is Daniel Finkelstein. The case against Tony Blair being leader, or at least the leading figure of a new centre party, is strong and obvious, you know, Iraq and backward looking and on and on, but there is a really good case for it. You can't have a Blairite party without Blair, and if you have him, he'll be the leading figure. So there's no point talking about a centre party without talking about him. When I suggested uh, before this week's episode why not give us
2: something left field I didn't think Danny you would leap for in defense of Tony Blair. I suppose you you've slightly touched on the the arguments against it. Is is in a way the fact that you are reaching for this uh, a sort of damning indictment on the fact that there are no alternatives that still the, the best person well, for the job is abs- someone
4: Absolutely. Although let's let's um the, the view that Tony Blair uh, would be a hopeless leader of a center party is a, as it were, a static view, not a dynamic view, which ignores the fact that he is very good, Tony Blair, a very persuasive person. And after all, he was prime minister with very large majorities, even after the Iraq war. And there is simply nobody else in the Blairite space as good as Blair. Uh, it's not surprising that that's the case. But you, know, you could look at someone like Chris Leslie and think he's a promising person. He's quite interesting. But if you launched a political party with Chris Leslie, it's quite possible
3: you get page four, <laughs> um, as the leader. So, Sam, um, you've got your hand up. you are got to say further back of the paper. <laughs> uh, can I just ask uh, for clarity on a few definitions because I'm a little confused. Um, uh, Danny, what is a Blairite party? And would, for instance, George Osborne be in a Blairite party? And by the way, since you're so effusive about... Tony Blair. Is George Osborne as good a politician as Tony Blair? (laughs) Um,
4: Well, let's try and pick those apart. First of all, um, a Blairite party. I think we all know what a Blairite party is. And by the way, I use Centre Party as
3: a is that, is but, but that, david that, is, cameron's conservatism after 2010 was, was felt to me like a blairite party in some way so it, so, you, so uh, forgive me you say it's obvious it's it's just not obvious to okay. me okay
4: i i um you know we could take up the uh, entire time just <laughs> discussing that but the a political party that is for a market economy but are also a welfare state that is internationalist, uh, that positions itself in the same place, roughly speaking, that New Labour did after 1997. Did, would that um, include Osborne well, or not I, don't, include Osborne. I, I think that um, George Osborne has both points of agreement with that position and points of disagreement with that position. There's no question that Blair didn't agree with his uh, policy on austerity, which I did. He was much more fiscally conservative uh, than that.
3: I, mean, I, don't, would, I don't. Blair, think, would, on, sorry, Blair just... would potentially agree with that. I, I'm trying to find out whether or not Osborne would fit in it or not. That your argument about austerity is an argument about the moment, and the question is what, whether Osborne would where he would he be in Nice Seven and. That's sidestepping it slightly. You'd, have, you'd, you'd really
4: have to ask him. I mean, honestly, I know that sounds a bit funny, but he, uh, I, I think the answer to that question is that, uh, well, you asked for whether he was as, as good a politician as Blair. Well, you can see that Tony Blair, and this is vital to my argument, was a vastly more popular politician, right? That may be partly because he didn't have to deal with the same kind of issues, but it may also just be the way that he approaches uh, politics. And he's also popular with a different audience. But can I can I just develop the argument for a second? Because what uh, one of the reasons, it's very interesting you pick up the issue of Blairite Party, because one of the issues I'm talking, about without any question is the, a split fr- of the new labour faction from labour, and that is a good point you know, you 're trying to, to broaden it but let 's just concentrate on that issue for the moment if and anyone who heard his interview with uh, Nick Robinson will show that he 's clearly struggling with this, if a political party was set up that was a split from labour that that appealed to the new uh, Labour audience and he decides not to go with it, I think it's crippled before it starts. And if he decides he is going to go with it, it's very much his vehicle before it starts. I don't think... I think we've been discussing the issue of, as it were, a new Blairite party without discussing Blair. Now, if it's set up and George Osborne didn't join it, it would, it would make no difference to it. Uh, I mean, obviously, it would be a different type of party if you joined it, and it would be very important, but it's not the, the first question. But the first question for a split from the Labour Party uh, is, does this split uh, develop or enjoy the support of Tony Blair? And if, it, if it's not a representation of what he's saying,
3: who does it represent?
0: Have we given up any hope of the Lib Dems ever making a comeback, should we say?
3: In the short term, uh, the Lib Dem I spoke to yesterday had given up on any hope of the Lib Dems making a comeback. So I think uh, for the interim period, yes. I think those people would be part of, and I think they can
4: see it, part of a sort of new movement of the the kind of left centre.
2: I mean, Vince Cable's Uh, been pretty explicit in basically sort of throwing the door, leaving the door open and hoping that a new party sort of wanders in and takes over.
0: Now, I accept, actually, that a Blairite party would have to have Blair... As its figurehead, if not its leader. However, it would be the more general perception of such a party that troubles me. How would they contrive not to make this a party of metropolitan elites, but something that reaches out to that constituency that Blair was able to do during his heyday? The winner of three elections. Why do people seem to always forget that? And in what way, Danny, would you see this party trying to be a party for everybody, not just people in in nice dining rooms in Dulwich and uh, Clapham. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very
4: important point. I've never, I've, I don't think the demographic since the nineteen eighties has changed sufficiently to provide a big enough demographic for this for a Blairite party mm-hmm. to be successful as an as an entity. It's possible that on momentum alone, using with a small m, close to an election, it could achieve a Macron type result. Uh, but I think it's extremely Difficult. What It it may be necessary, however, simply because people inside the Labour Party or the Conservative Party decide they simply can't stand for what they're being asked to stand for, and therefore they're prepared to fail with a new party. And I've got friends, someone like Mike Thomas, who was an STP MP. He knew absolutely he wasn't going to uh, regain his seat. He thought the SDP probably wouldn't succeed in making a breakthrough, but he couldn't run for Labour in 1983. So I think there's a, there's a possibility a party will be set up on that basis. And all I'm saying is, I think its biggest chance of making an impact lies with Tony Blair being one of its leading figures but also
3: I don't think they can avoid that question nor can he you're pivoting it as a as a split on the left but but I think a blairite party could provoke a crisis of conservatism because actually I'm much more interested if you if you took blairism if you decoupled the labor movement and and the unions and uh, and it made clear it was a pragmatic European, not a pro-European, but pragmatic European party that rejected the kind of Europe, Euro, Euroscepticism that you're seeing on the right of the Tories with the ERG. Then why can't a whole bunch of m- modernising conservatives? Where, where does their loyalty to the Conservative Party stop and their belief in the centre ground start? And, and it's and a I th-
4: vast risk and it'll probably be a failure. So why you won't take it unless it's absolutely essential. And in, what I think what, what I think is likely to happen is that in the Labour on the left it will prove absolutely essential, and on the right it pr- probably won't. Probably. Won't it, it's there? We I can envisage a situation in which it was essential for everybody take that risk, um, but I don't think it's likely, uh, on, it's as likely on the right as it is on the left. We're already in a situation, in my view, where people on the center left wonder whether they can promote Jeremy Corbyn to become prime minister. For people on the right at the moment, they're not being asked, they're being asked whether they can promote Theresa May to be prime minister, and they ask that question that they can now, of course. It may be that somebody else's leader they can't put up with by the next general election, but it has to be someone... I think the, the Labour Party would have happily put up with Lisa Nandy, it would have happily put up with um, all sorts of people to the left of Ed Miliband, but Jeremy Corbyn is... A, and what's happening in their body is a different order. So it has to be a different
3: order to force them to make that all, risk. All, all I'm saying is that sometimes I wonder whether Tony Blair's view of the market, of capitalism, even of tax rates from VAT through to basic rate, um, isn't more isn't more in tune with some on the left of the Conservative Party of than Theresa May.
2: But isn't isn't also of part of the issue? Is. As you quite rightly say, Danny, it would be a massive risk. And actually, what the Labour Party the moderates or the labour right or whatever you call them what they are lacking is a risk taker like tony blair who would take the leap it feel like we've spent the last three it's almost three years to the day that jeremy Corbyn became labour leader and we've been talking ever so it's going to come to a head in a minute it's going to come to an, who, who's who's who the leader it? of that there isn't there isn't anyone who's got the you know the gumption or the balls whatever you call it to go for it and knowing that like you were just saying the mike thomas situation it might not work but it it's the it's right thing to do, maybe it will work. Instead, is, they're, they're, they're waiting for someone else to do it.
0: Is this a broader defect in our political life that somebody can't muster support, gather together all his friends and break through in the way that Macron did in France? That somebody who sees from outside the political system that he could be the man who comes to the fore, can break through I mean I don't know do the structures not work to help that happen
4: Well France has always had a more fluid political system that is more attractive to those individuals but but even if even if we were to assume that somebody could make a big impact the big question we have, we have to ask and we have to ask it quite soon is who would that be yeah. now't let's not forget the beginning of my point. There are very many, very strong arguments, both strategically in terms of the fact that this has got to appeal in the end to younger people, uh, to um, to a new demographic. So there are strategic problems and there are also very strong problems with Tony Blair in terms of his image, You know, if you look at any focus group. And so anybody who's looked at this will immediately respond, that is absolute nonsense, to my point. So I should acknowledge that. You know, I've discussed this with a lot of people, a lot of people I respect a lot and they think this is total nonsense. But my response to that is, well, I've never thought it was going to be that successful anyway, um, but I do think it'll be successful in one thing, which is, which is something they do, which is it means that a whole bunch of people who would otherwise have to run under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, believing him to be a danger to national security, will, will not have to do that. And it's difficult to see how that happens without Tony Blair making a decision about it. And the moment he makes that decision, that decision will become vital. I felt that the comments he made last week, where he clearly indicated that he might leave the Labour Party, one of its most successful leaders, Prime Minister for 10 years, a towering political figure for all of the arguments to make against him, was underplayed. One of the major political figures is thinking that he might not be able to support Labour in the next general election. It was hard to see how he could, given what he said, given what we know about him. And if he doesn't, that is obviously massively more important than anything we've learned so far and what does that tell you it tells you that blair is vital to a blairite organization sam i think i've written about this before i'm pretty sure we've talked about it on the podcast as
2: well that, that sometimes in politics it sort of rewards people who take a risk so in 2005 david cameron was not supposed to be the next tory leader he was it wasn't his time he should have waited for the next time Man, and like, you know, sometimes you've just got to go for it nick clegg was the same he wasn't supposed to be the lib dem leader You've just got to go for it, and it's the lack of, and actually, there's this sort of caution on all sides. Everyone's sort of waiting for something else to happen. It's happening in the Tory party as well, and you know, but maybe Boris Johnson will go for it. And and sometimes it doesn't pay off, but actually, just going for it sometimes is
3: is worth it. Um, yes, the the implicitly the most depressing thing about Danny's point of view is um, <laughs> is is that that we're having to reach into the past to look for something for the future, and that i think just doesn't work it won't work what we're looking for is in this era where uh we do not see um, many uh sort of titans amongst men and women somebody to stand up and and take a risk and and move forward we're looking for the person who stands on their desk robin williams style and dead poet society and says you know leader my leader and follow me um my and Right. I mean. So you see what I mean. I mean, he, um so, so you, so, uh, you know, you've got to. You've got
4: to. You've got to answer that question. Right, Chuka. Uh, I, 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 you know, I didn't Tom expect Mann? that to be the what, answer. Like, no, that well, so, as you. Well, okay. And you know. By the way, right. We're talking about an extremely courageous individual. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, and a person of some substance, right? He's not a joke in that way at all. But obviously, as the leader of a political party, he is. And I'm sure he'd think that himself. So what I'm saying is, yes, all your theoretical points are correct. All the polling points are correct. But my point at the bottom of it is, how do you have a meaningful, punchy, uh, in which those people do not have to run promoting somebody to be prime minister? They don't want to be prime minister. That without taking into account the position of its most potent politician and
0: all i could say that if such a figure comes forward boy they're going to need to have real guts far more guts than anybody like cameron when he made his bid when blair when he made his bid because of the mud that would be thrown at them and their families remorselessly through social media. Anybody now wanting to declare themselves to be for the third way would need to have a hide of tougher than a rhinoceros and be willing to put their family through that as well and i think that we are that social media has so much debased our our political and our broader public life that i would say there would be many people out there who could see themselves taking this role but they would not impose the mudslinging on themselves or their families
2: well, it's a fascinating subject. I, I'm tempted to say things might come to a head soon, but um, experience so far uh, tells us they won't. But who knows? Politics is so unpredictable. Uh, but let us know what you think. Email us, redbox at thetimes.co.uk and you can uh, tweet us at TimesRedbox, post on Facebook uh, or post a review on iTunes and we'll uh, read out some of the best in the coming weeks. Don't forget to sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Or on your Android device, or wherever you get your podcast from. But for now, from Ann Ashworth, Sam Coates, Daniel Finkstein, and me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.